Russ and Nancy Ebersol are my heroes. You can clap at that. I think so. Um, I've known Russ since I was a little boy in Emmanuel Baptist Church in uh, Toledo, Ohio. And then um, we came here, and um, our church still supports the Ebersol. So thank you, Russ, very much for your warm words today. Um, you have no idea how much joy is in our hearts to be here today. No idea. Um, I'm going to break everything up here. I have a script that I want to follow, and I'm sure I won't say everything I want to say um, because my heart is uh, very full. I certainly want to thank Don and Ginger Warren for their hospitality to us and uh, putting up with us for these uh, couple of days. Um, and, uh, and for any who made a little extra effort to drive any extra distance to come and say hello means so much to us. Um, this church has been a source and a fuel in our souls um, for our entire lives. You launched us um, into ministry here and um, when a young pastor can be launched to a ministry with nothing but pleasant, warm memories of what this church meant to us, um, it's fueled us for the rest of our lives. And um, we're deeply, deeply grateful to um, all who encouraged us and helped us. I often say our time here... Um, basically, Pastor Bob Dyer created the waves, Elaine Longshaw organized them, and I just surfed them along the, <laughs> uh, the, the way. By the way, um, happy birthday, Elaine. We started together on the same day back in 1987. So um, it, you can kind of uh, begin to think about it. Um, Pastor Brian Mitchell, many of you, we may remember the Mitchells. John and Jackie's son, Brian, is on our staff. He sends his greetings. Uh, Tom Clark was a member of your church uh, here, and he's now back at our uh, area. He sends his greetings. Pastor Tom and Terry Price were a part of this church. He's preaching for me this morning um, back in Milwaukee. He sends his love, and of course, um, Art and Joyce Cavey were longtime members of this church, and until they came to our church, this was their favorite church, and now that one was. But <laughs> So there's been a lot of connections uh, between this church um, and our own. And um, I also want to thank uh, Jeff and Valerie Bowen for um, making it possible for us to come. Jeff called me. I've known Jeff since college and seminary and at Shepherd's board meetings. And um, we've had lunch many, many times down through the years. His friendship has been a great encouragement. He called me a few months ago and said, um, would, would you ever consider coming back? And I said, yes. <laughs> and literally that fast. And um, so he gave me some days and has worked out the details for us to be here. And he's preaching for his son in uh, that church today. So um, very, very grateful. 38 years ago, 
a six-month pregnant Margie and I in a packed U-Haul trailer drove down the Shirkill Expressway. <laughs> Is it still like that? Some things never change, right? And we moved into a little two-bedroom house on Coates Street in Medford that had been painted and fixed up by many of the men of this church. And um, we were scared. We were very inadequate. I think I was 25 years old. You should have never hired me. <laughs> and now you know that's true. Nobody. When our lives were forever changed. Now we're in our 60s. We have five of the most adorable grandchildren you have ever seen. I was telling uh, Mike Zidane that when uh, my first grandchild was born and everyone since, a part of my soul got activated I didn't know existed. And it's been so much joy. They come every Sunday to our church and they hug me in the foyer. When I preach a terrible message, they still come and hug me and <laughs> tell me they love me and it's all better. And it's, it's such a joy. Um, we drove around yesterday and um, the memories here are very, very sweet. This church loved us and loved each other in that era of time in a way that... Um, most pastors never get to appreciate. But we did. Um, you trained us. You encouraged us. You loved us. Did I mention that you loved us? We have nothing but gratitude. And we're very happy in our current place of ministry. We've been there 31 years. And... Um, God has been so good to us. I've been blessed to pastor church that churches, two churches in my whole career, where there were just wonderful people there. And um, uh, many pastors don't get that privilege. Some reason we have. Um, just a few more reminiscences. I remember the Dyers inviting us over for dinner on holidays because we were away from family until Margie's parents moved here. Um, I remember um, having a youth group scheduled, activities scheduled, and nobody came. I mean, sometimes you might think, well, those years had no sadness or pain. Well, that was a pretty discouraging day. I remember then God pouring out his blessing, and I remember um, teaching high school group right back there in that hallway because we had no place to go. I remember being downstairs. The primary department was on one half of the room, wide open room. High school on the other side of the room, wide open room, teachers talking all at the same time. Total chaos. <laughs> and I remember one day a young lady walked in. I don't know. Michelle, are you here? Michelle, can I? And Michelle Tyree walked in from her house just down the road. 
And uh, she started coming, and somewhere I presented the gospel, and she said, I need to get saved. And um, she prayed to receive the Lord. Um, Nobody will um, believe some of the stories. We had high school, Sunday school class in a bus for several weeks. I'm telling the truth. I tell people at our church this, and they don't believe me. They think I'm lying. But were any of you in the bus when I was teaching the, the Sunday school class there? I mean, it was crazy. But God blessed. Um, then for three years, we met in John and Elaine Longshaw's basement. We would walk over there. It was a little tough in the winter. But they uh, cleaned up their basement so beautifully. It was such a wonderful, wonderful experience for us. I remember teen leadership, retreats, bigger and better nights, Bible studies at our house. I remember Jane Bowman's funeral. I remember Sharon Cummings' funeral. I remember the excitement we had when the gym went up. Oh, was that a great day. (laughs) We were so happy. I remember missions trips, adults going on them, some local uh, trips we went to upstate New York. I remember Talents for Christ contests, and some of our teams would compete against other kids and speeches and singing and whatever, and our kids did so well. I remember um, Kevin preaching a sermon um, on how God was going to get him through after his brother died. It was an amazing message. And he won the contest. Um, I remember Corey Lowell singing. I mean, I I, I wrote... And I remember Brenda Humbert Lucas, I guess now doing a speech on holiness. I don't know what place she got, but I thought the speech was amazing. So I'd like to preach her speech today. Well, not really. Perhaps you heard about the uh, California driver's license examiner who told about a teenager who had driven almost the perfect test in the driver's part of the exam. It was almost perfect. And when the young person got out of the car after the test was over, the examiner said, "Um, it was almost perfect. And you made one mistake, the examiner said. Because when he stopped to let the young person out of the car, after breathing a sigh of relief, the young boy exclaimed, I'm sure glad I don't have to drive like that all the time. <laughs> and sometimes I think we Christians think I don't think I want to live like Jesus all the time. And we think erroneously, erroneously. I've thought it, maybe you're more spiritual than me and you never thought it. Well, Jesus is my savior. I know I'm going to heaven. I got my fire insurance. I paid for that a long time ago. 
Now that I know I'm going to heaven, I can kind of let some things slide. So the million-dollar question this morning I want to chat with you about is, what does it mean to be holy? Do you know? It's a word that's used over 600 times in the Bible. I think it's an important concept. And I know, I know I'm old and I know I have white hair that some of you helped put here, just for the record. But maybe the older I'm getting, the more important I'm realizing, going back to what's really fundamental in the Bible. And that's to be holy. Did you know one entire book of the Bible is dedicated to holiness? It's Leviticus. Now, can I confess to you my sins? I hate reading Leviticus. <laughs> kind of. It's hard reading. Have you ever read it? It's hard reading. But when you understand its context and you put it in its perspective, the book of Leviticus is all about the fact that there's a holy God in the universe who expects us to also be holy. Let me read one verse from Leviticus. Leviticus 11 44, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves around the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Sounds almost puritanical, doesn't it, to talk about holiness? You don't hear a lot of talk in churches today about being holy. It's kind of not in But I would remind all of us, you know this, that of all the attributes of God, never in the Bible does it say God is eternal, eternal, eternal. God is love, love, love. It says God is holy, holy, holy. Maybe one for each time of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's holy. Um, downstairs of this church didn't used to be divided. It was all wide open. And that's where my ordination council was held in January of 1981. It was a scary day for me. Many pastors from the area came in and asked me a bunch of questions. Hours, hours, and hours. I think it was five or six hours. I've never known an ordination council to be so long in my life. I think I should have an asterisk besides my certificate that hangs on my wall. The world's longest ordination council. I'll never forget. One of the questions one of the pastors asked me was, uh, Brother Chip, what's the most important attribute of God? How would you answer well, you already know, right? Because I'm. So some people might say love, because at the core of God is God is love. And so I think you'd get partial credit for that answer. But you know what the right answer is, right? He's holy. 
of all the characteristics and attributes of God that you want to think about today, the one that matters most is that he's holy. And he says because he is holy, we're supposed to be holy. And if you remember Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah got just a glimpse of the vision of God, remember? He said, woe unto me, for I am unclean. The holiness of God caused Isaiah to see himself in a different way. When you really see a holy God, and you know how holy he is, it affects you on the inside. This isn't just intellectual. This isn't just ordination, counsel, fodder for young seminarians. This is for every Christ follower. You must understand. So, so when we think about holiness and the magnitude of, of all of it, well, how would you define it? I had to define it in my ordination. See, it so traumatized me. I remember everything, right? <laughs> How do you define holy? What would you say? Well, sometimes we define holiness as his purity. His, he's sinless, right? We're, we're sinful. He's sinless. Isaiah said, I'm unclean because he saw the purity of God. But it's far deeper than that. It's far expansive than that. To be holy means his transcendence he is different than us he is above us he is higher than we are we are created in his image but he stands above all of his creation in his greatness in his glory in his holiness in his transcendence he's different than us do you know what you need Do you know what I need? Do you know what every human being? We don't need another human being to come. We need somebody to rescue us from above. Holiness means he's above us. To be sure he's pure. To be sure he's separate from us. And if we're to be holy, we're to be separate, not from him. We're united with him. But to be holy then, we're separate from Sin. We're to separate from it. We're to become more and more like him so that we can be separate from sin. Do you know what worship is? Every pastor has stories about people and things that they say to them. Never, you never did this, but my current church has a few times. Last Sunday, somebody stopped me at the door with... um, an interesting question. How, how Christ-exalting do you think that sermon was, she asked me. First-time visitor. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure you're going to tell me, though. <laughs> Sometimes people will say, I didn't like the worship today. What does that mean? <laughs> huh? Because is this worship? The music? Is that worship? Is my speaking worship? Worship takes place in our hearts as we reverence ourselves before a holy God. If you don't like the worship today, whose fault is it? 
We are the worshipers. We worship a holy God. And when you worship a holy God and you come into his presence, we become like him. We're supposed to, in our worship, draw close to him. And his holiness becomes a part of our lives and we go out of here trying to live a more holy life. It's what it's supposed to be. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. If you want a definition, working definition. Not sure I said that in my ordination. I wish I had. (laughs) Nothing less than conformity to the character of God. God has called us to be like He is. But sin dwells in us, and um, it's wreaking its havoc. So, so the million-dollar question is: how, do, how can you hope to be holy when sin is a part of our nature, and when sin is all around us? How how do you how do you become how, how, how do you how do you get holy? When you say, "Well, I go to Shawnee Baptist Church," well, I think you made a great choice for a church, but. It's a lot more than that. So I wrote down a couple of things, and then we're going to land back at Romans chapter 6. So let me just give you, don't make up excuses for, for holiness. Well, it's just the way I am. It's my, it's my heritage. No. Look, I'm just turned 63 years old. And I've made a commitment to Almighty God. I want to be more holy every single day that I live. I hope you will. But it's hard. One of the many memories I have, another one is uh, Pastor Dyer once took uh, Pastor John and I fishing. We went salmon fishing. Any of you ever been salmon fishing? I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm hardly a, a, a salmon expert. I actually have a picture of the fish that I caught. We, I don't know, we fished for three days, I caught one fish. Which was usually my experience when I fished with Pastor Dyer, but I don't, we'll talk about that another day. But I got a monster. It was great. It's so much fun. Well, salmon fishing, I got a little video. Have you ever seen how salmon go back and spawn and go back to where they were born and, and all the work and the, this will just kind of run and you'll just kind of watch how the salmon go back upstream, back all the way back to the place they were born and then they will spawn and lay eggs, all of that. They'll go some 250 miles back It's an incredible journey. And they'll swim against the current. See it? They're going against the current. And they're going over fish barriers and up dams. And as they're jumping in the air, sometimes a bear will come and grab one of them. Or or a hawk will come down and, and grab one of them. Or they'll jump up and land on a rock and knock themselves silly. Many salmon die on their way back 
swimming against the current, going against the grain. It's hard work to make it all the way back home. And it seems to me that as those salmon go, giving everything they have, all every ounce of strength against the overwhelming current of the day, they either get to their destination or they die trying. And I would say to you all today that the world I live in isn't getting any better. I wish it were. It's getting harder. We have a great student ministries going at our church and children's ministries, and I look at what's ahead of them. It's harder than it used to be. And I have news for you. It's harder for 63-year-olds to live in the will of God than it used to be. I mean, it's not getting easier for old people, let alone young people. We swim up current. There are all sorts of currents against us. There are currents of selfishness, immorality, the current of false teaching that's prevalent in so many churches. There are blatant sins, and you can, you can cancel it there. There are blatant sins and, and not so blatant sins. The battle for holiness is won in our hearts, in our minds. It's, it, it's won in our wills. It's one as you and I get serious about making sure our lives reflect who our God really is. So let me give you four ways I think you can win the battle for holiness. And here's four things you're supposed to do. And then I want to close with the things God's going to do. So here's the four things you need to do. Number one, decide every day to be holy. Decide every day. Today, Lord, I give you this day, and I want to be like you. I want to be holy. Job says, I make a covenant with my eyes, Lord. I'm going to decide every day. I'm in the battle. I'm swimming against the grain. Some days I feel like quitting. The current is about to take me. Second, develop holy habits. I wrote down prayer, Bible reading, serving. And may I suggest you add the habit of generosity? Oh, I've been on the receiving end of that already from so many of you. We used to say you need to die to yourself. You know what that means? Young people, do you know what dying to yourself means? You need to break up with yourself. That's what that means. So much of my life and yours is lived in selfish ambition. We need to live in the discipline of simplicity and humility. Develop holy habits. Third, dump all grudges, resentment, and a lack of forgiveness. The chains that will keep you from swimming upstream 
to become holy is when you hold grudges from years ago and you can't let the Lord forgive. And number four, let's determine never to give up. It's a lifetime battle. And we must never stop swimming against that current. And as soon as we drop our guard, we will lose ground and lose the areas of holiness that we had taken earlier. There are times where you say, Pastor Chip, it's hard. I got news for you. It's, it's as hard for pastors as it is for anybody. And sometimes I feel like quitting. I know, I know too. Most Monday mornings, most pastors feel like quitting. Well, Pastor Chip, I'm happy where I'm at spiritually. I don't want to grow anymore. Oh, that's a terrible answer. Let's determine never to give up. Let's determine, Shawnee Baptist Church today, let's determine that when we get home on the other side, we will have been changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we'll be faithful all the way to the end. Now that's our part, okay? You're saying, but that sounds kind of like all what you do. You're saying holiness is all what you do? No. It's this wonderful divine human cooperative thing that happens. You see, you have responsibilities. I do too to be holy. You have to be holy. Work at it. And I want to close with the best part. You're saying, but it's so hard. Oh, I know it's hard. But here's what I want you to know. You don't have to do it alone. Jesus Christ has paid it so that you don't have to live by yourself in your own strength. So that's what Romans 6 is. You wondered, were we ever going to get there? Yeah, Romans 6. That's what Romans 6 is. And it was beautifully read. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty of our sin, but there's more good news that Jesus Christ came also to pay for the power of our sin in our lives, right? That, 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 that the good news of the gospel is he didn't just die so that you, and I remember some of you where you were sitting the day you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior in this church. But that's not just what Christ's death does for you. Christ's death isn't just to rescue from your sins. Christ's death is to also provide the way for you to, and me to become holy. Right. Okay? So so the battle for holiness, it's your part. Yeah, you've got to do your devotions. You've got to pray. You've got to be kind and gracious to other people. But bask in the truth of what Romans chapter 6 says. Shall we then go on sinning that grace might increase? But by the way, it's a, it's a rhetorical question, and somebody already said the answer. The answer is no. You can't take advantage of God's grace and say, I'm saved. I can go live however I want. Some of the precious kids who were in our youth group made professions of faith in Jesus Christ, and they're presuming on God's grace today. And they're far from Him. Well, I'm saved. Oh, no. Salvation is supposed to be much more than that. 
God's grace isn't just to rescue us from our sin. God's grace was given to make us holy. Titus chapter 2 makes it so very clear. Verses 11 and 12, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness, not just to take us to heaven, but to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We don't go on sinning sinning just because of God's amazing grace. His grace helps us not to sin. And and then Romans 6, he says, but we died to sin. Past tense, it already happened. Look, I I hope everybody here knows Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you do, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, whether you knew this happened or not, it happened. That very moment, you died to sin. Your obligation to sin is done forever, paid in full. Somebody say amen there, right? Okay. Therefore, we don't have to keep living in selfishness. Therefore, God has provided a way where we as his children who have been our sins buried in the deepest sea can now live together we who died to sin how can we live in it anymore it's a, we should be getting better Look, it's been 30 some years since you've seen me and I've seen you you should be a lot more holy than you were 30 years ago. And so should I. Because we learn one day at a time, one step at a time, how great God really is, how wonderful the provision is that he gave us. We, we die to sin. And I'm just going to skip to the, the penalty of sin is paid, the power of sin is broken, the presence of sin is still with us. And I know it's time to close, but I'm going to... I was trained under Pastor Bob Dyer. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> We're died, we died to sin. But somebody, somebody say amen in just a minute here. So the rest of you can catch up with Joel, who's always ahead of you. <laughs> so if you were always looking for a place to say amen in a church and you were wondering when would it be, here it is. But we're alive to God. You were outdone there, Joel. We're alive to God. Our legal way has been set. The legal price has been paid so that we can be dead to sin, alive to him. We're activated with his resurrection power that didn't just rescue us from sin, but the power of the resurrection works in my life and yours so that we can be holy every single day. So the power of the resurrection is far deeper than salvation. It has to do with our sanctification. Look, the good news is when you're swimming upstream against the world in school and at work, 
with family members who don't know the Lord and it's hard and it's difficult and I understand. Look, the good news of the gospel is he died, he rose again, he provided the way that your sins could be forgiven and his power is active to help you become more like him. You don't have to do it on your own. He does it for you. Isn't that great news? Isn't that good news? That's why Paul couldn't figure it out. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. I'm alive. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I'm both alive and dead all at the same time. That's kind of true. And fourth, don't let sin control the way you live. That's what he says in verses 11 in Romans 6. Count yourself dead to sin, alive to him. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin control you anymore. You've been saved with the potential to get better. So you see, holiness isn't just this list of things and do's and don'ts that you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. Holiness is about your relationship with God. It's about you worshiping a holy God when you and I worship a holy God and we are truly in his presence. He points out the areas of our sin just by his holiness. We confess our sins. We repent. He energizes us and gives us the courage to swim against the current one more day. And I want to encourage you all, don't quit. You keep swimming. You swim in the power of the Holy Spirit who works inside of you. One of the fun things about Wisconsin is that we have um, a couple of really world-class golf courses, and the U.S. Open has been held in our community a couple of times, and I was able to go to Aaron Hills last year and walk the course and watch these amazing pros hit, and, and I buy, wherever I go to these things, I buy the shirt, like the golf shirt, you know, so that Aaron Hills, U.S. Open, <laughs> whistling straights, U.S. Open, and um, one day I was out about doing some things and I had another shirt on and it was the um, shirt from, if you know golf, you'll know what this means. If you don't, um, I'll try to explain it to you. But it said um, St. Andrews, which if you golf, that's like golf heaven. It's over in the UK, like St. Andrews. So some guy comes up to me and he says, did you play at St. Andrews? And I had to just think for a minute. What do I say? Yeah, I shot two over par that day. It was a tough day in St. Andrews. (laughs) I didn't say that. I said, no, sir, I've never been to St. Andrews. I barely have seen it on television. I got this shirt at TJ Maxx on sale. (laughs) That's what I told him. And he didn't think it was funny. He just kept right on going. He, he, he thought I was a serious golfer, and I'm, I am not. Look, my concern for Christendom today, and by church, and, and, and for you, dear friends, is that some of us want to put the shirt on of Christianity and think, if I go to church, 
If I memorize scripture, maybe if I put money in the offering, maybe God will love me more. Maybe I can just put the shirt on of Christianity and not be changed from the inside. Look, you might even be able to fool me to thinking like I fooled that guy. He thought I was a golfer. But you can't fool God. What you need today is not a phony shirt. What you need today is the righteousness of Jesus Christ draped over you so that your sins can be forgiven once and for all. That only happens by faith when you bow your head and you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that, will you talk to one of us and make sure that we have an opportunity, somebody here has an opportunity to help you develop that sweet relationship to make you all that God wants you to be.